Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Friday, September 22nd, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China and Syria have announced the establishment of a strategic partnership. Chinese travelers are looking for bargains during off-peak times as holidays like the upcoming National Day become more expensive. Iran and Djibouti have decided to restore bilateral relations. In business, China's railways are prepping for a holiday travel rush. In sports, China's flag bears for the Hangzhou Asian Games. In culture and entertainment, China Media Group's Mid-Autumn Festival Gala. Now check in the day's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping and his Syrian counterpart Bashar al-Assad have jointly announced the establishment of the China-Syria Strategic Partnership. The two leaders met in Hangzhou on Friday. President Xi welcomed Assad to attend the opening ceremony of the Asian Games in Hangzhou. He said Syria was one of the first Arab countries to establish diplomatic ties with China, and the newly announced strategic partnership is an important milestone in the history of bilateral relations. Assad said Syria is willing to strengthen friendly cooperation with China and maintain close communication and coordination with China in international and regional affairs. After the meeting, the two leaders witnessed the signing of documents on the Belt and Road Initiative as well as cooperation on economic development. Well, ahead of the 6th Chinese Harvest Festival, President Xi Jinping extended his greetings with sincere regards to agricultural and rural workers. The Chinese leader stressed adhering to the goal of building a strong agricultural sector. He said China is dedicated to building a beautiful and harmonious countryside that's desirable to live and work in. Chinese Vice President Han Zhang has made a four-point proposal for tackling world affairs at this year's general debate of the UN General Assembly. Han also reaffirmed China's commitment to opening itself wider to the world and safeguarding sovereignty and territorial integrity. Nathan King is in New York with details. Well, first of all, uh, some of the highlights very much fit around the social development goals agenda uh, that the UN has been emphasizing here. You know, there's uh, 17 uh, points that the world is meant to hit uh, by 2030. They're lagging behind. You know, they're everything from the ending of poverty, better working conditions, uh, better education, gender equality. Uh, there's things that make societies uh, uh, more developed. Uh, and China, of course, after launching the Global Development Initiative under Xi Jinping uh, two years ago in his address uh, here to this body, um, essentially uh, Han said that he uh, believes this is helping deliver uh, real help, help for countries, learning from some of China's examples when it comes to uh, 50 years of development as well. Uh, of course, there's the Global Strategic Initiative and the Civilization Initiative that he touted as well. And I think there was a, a point where he really stressed about the war in Ukraine, not overshadowing the work of the United Nations, but also offering China's good offices for any cessation of hostilities or uh, some sort of uh, uh, peace 
process, saying that China will play a constructive uh, role in that because we've seen a lot of back and forth uh, this week over the conflict. But as the conf conflict doesn't move, uh, essentially, the more and more cries for peace are going up, the more are actually being listened to by the international community. We'll wait and see. Uh, also over Taiwan, he was very, very strong, uh, saying that uh, uh, China, uh, Taiwan had been an inalienable part of Chinese territory since ancient times. That's a phrase I haven't heard used here at the United Nations and essentially drawing a red line under that. And also, you know, um, he encouraged countries not to weaponize human rights without naming the United States, but we knew that, saying essentially China and other countries can choose their own path. Let's take a listen. Ensuring a good life for people is the biggest human right. As countries have different histories, traditions and conditions, we must and can only explore a path of human rights development suited to our national conditions in response to the needs of our people. We should advance the international human rights cause through dialogue and cooperation and oppose politicizing and double standards. In particular, the use of human rights and democracy as a political tool to interfere in the affairs of other countries. He also uh, touted uh, China's economic model at the moment, saying even though the global economy had been struggling from, to emerge from COVID, China remained on the path of modernization and opening up to other countries, encouraging foreign investment and will protect foreign uh, companies that operate uh, in China as well. And also it was a celebration line or two about the Belt and Road Initiative, which as we all know, turns 10 years old this year with uh, uh, the third uh, global summit on uh, the BRI coming up uh, in China. He said there's over 3,000 projects that have helped deliver development across uh, the Belt and Road countries, which of course fits in with the United Nations agenda. And lastly, I can't go without mentioning climate change. He said uh, uh, the, the signatures of the Paris Peace Accord, back, uh, uh, climate accord back in uh, 2015 need to double down and deliver on their targets. Of course, we have COP28 coming up in just about six weeks' time. And that was Nathan King reporting. And for more insight, Vice President Rong Ying of the China Institute of International Studies shares his thoughts on Han Zheng's speech and the message that China has been trying to convey. Vice President Han Zheng's statement, his speech at the General Assembly, sent a very strong message, which is consistent in terms of China's policy and positions related to human rights issues and others. China, the Chinese traditional philosophy, believes uh, harmony in diversity, which argues for a world, a harmonious but not homogeneous world, and respect that the, uh, the world is different, but we need not necessarily to approach the world in a confrontational uh, way. This is the, the, I think, reflects the reality, and it is, I think, has been echoed by most members of, uh, of the international community, particularly the international community, uh, in developing countries. I think the most important thing is the uh, continued solidarity and the unity. And we have seen that over the past uh, months and more, uh, many developing countries are working together to find a way to address their differences or conflict. This is a very positive development in terms of the uh, interstate relationship among developing countries. And more importantly, we have seen that uh, the 
regional or I mean, uh, regional organizations or organizations or organizations consisting of uh, developing countries like the BRICS, like G77 plus China, these groupings and the mechanism are making a more and more and a strong voice in terms of the represent, question of representation and aspirations of developing countries related to global governance. And thirdly, I think the developing countries are now continuously working together to adapt to the changes or challenges raised or posed by advanced science technology in terms of innovation and adaptation to that. This is again a very much, I think, a way when development becomes more and more important and developing countries are working together, not only calling for the placement of development on the central stage of international fora like UN, but also working together to through dialogue and cooperation for their common development and for the development of the world as a whole. That was Vice President Rong Ying of the China Institute of International Studies. Also at the UN General Assembly on Thursday, African leaders strongly condemned the use of sanctions and interference in internal affairs by Western countries. The Zimbabwean president urged for the removal of sanctions on his country. We strongly condemn tendencies by some powerful countries who preach peace, human rights and democracy, and yet clandestinely fund conflicts and the unconstitutional change of governments for their own narrow interests. We further condemn the use of unilateral and illegal sanctions as a foreign policy tool at the disposal of some powerful nations, such as those sanctions imposed on Zimbabwe and the countries like Cuba. In the meantime, uh, Guinea's tra- transitional president said Africa has been suffering under a governance model that's been imposed on it by the West, which is insulting to a continent of more than 1.3 billion people. Coming up, changing travel habits in China. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Ten minutes past the hour. As many people start planning their National Day holiday trips, some are opting to wait for a later time to avoid the holiday rush. In recent years, staggered vacations have become a popular travel pattern, but they're subject to uncontrollable factors. Leo Jiahang has more. For those who prefer to avoid crowds and long queues at tourist attractions and restaurants, traveling during the off-season has become the new fashion. Prices are often lower outside the high season, not just for flights and hotels, but also at restaurants and shops in some cities. Most company workers adhere to a 9-to-5 work schedule, and a relaxing vacation is what they need from time to time. Instead of joining the National Day holiday rush, some choose to take their days off several weeks after. I usually choose to go back to my hometown during public holidays and save my travel plans for later to avoid the crowds. During my college years, there was one time I went to visit an attraction on a public holiday. It was jam-packed, and people were literally jostling each other on the way. 
I totally gave up on traveling during high season ever since. 整体是自己调整的休假嘛，所以在时间安排上会自由很多。Since I'm able to adjust my working schedule and my time is rather flexible, I always choose to go on standard vacations. I do that mostly because prices are way cheaper for flight tickets, hotels, and others. This has become a strategy of travelers seeking for a better travel experience, but it doesn't necessarily apply to everyone. Gao Tian at a travel agency based in Beijing says individuals and even enterprises have the desire to engage in staggered travel, but its feasibility depends on specific circumstances. 平时的话，一些公司的团建肯定是选择错峰。Most companies arrange their team-building trips during off-peak times, and of course, retired people with plenty of time stagger their travel too. Some people use their annual leave during slack seasons. I would say about 20 to 30 percent of travelers prefer to travel out of season, but some people either lack additional days off or need to take care of their school-going children. Yet industry insiders predict that staggered vacations will become mainstream since the government has been actively promoting it. The state council released a document in late July outlining 20 measures to revitalize and expand consumption. One of the key points is to encourage staggered vacations and flexible work schedules. As a result, many enterprises across the nation have started offering more options for working hours and shifts to the staff, seeing it as a win-win strategy that benefits both the company and the employees. For the Beijing Hour, this is Liu Jiaheng. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky was on a second wartime visit to Washington. It was、uh, it came after he addressed the UN General Assembly in New York on Tuesday. Zelensky called on U.S. lawmakers to maintain support for his country's fight against Russia, warning that Ukraine could lose the war without the continued flow of aid and weapons. Jim Spellman has more. First stop for President Zelensky, Capitol Hill, as President Joe Biden seeks another 24 billion dollars in aid to Kiev, on top of the more than 60 billion already committed. There's still broad support for Ukraine in both parties, but support for Ukraine has been wavering among some conservative Republicans. Zelensky then traveled to the Pentagon to meet with military leaders, as Ukraine has pressured the U.S. for more advanced weaponry to fight Russia. Meantime, Poland says it will no longer send arms to Ukraine. The conflict with Russia has blocked grain export routes from Ukraine, resulting in low-cost Ukrainian crops flooding Polish markets, harming Polish farmers. Polish elections next month have ramped up anti-Ukraine sentiment. As the political drama played out on the international stage, Ukraine targeted a Russian airbase in Crimea, and Russian missiles fell across Ukraine, including strikes aimed at the capital, Kiev. No peace talks are scheduled between Russia and Ukraine, and there's no end in sight to the death. And destruction. That was Jim Spellman on Zelensky's tour in Washington. Well, meantime, the U.S. and Ukrainian presidents have agreed on specific steps to expand the export of grain from Ukraine, although the details remain unknown to the public. The U.S. says it'll host a conference this fall with Ukrainian business leaders and officials to bolster Ukraine's long-term defense capabilities. Meanwhile, Sweden says it sent Ukraine ten tanks, along with Ukrainian、uh, crews that were trained in Sweden.、Uh, the tanks are variants of the Leopard model.、Uh, Belgium said. It's pondering whether to provide F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine, which are capable of carrying nuclear weapons. Earlier, Russian Foreign Minister Sergey Lavrov called it a Western threat for Ukraine to have such fighters. 
Vladimir Zelensky has arrived in Canada amid his continued efforts to shore up support from Western allies. It's the Ukrainian leader's first visit to Canada since the conflict with Russia began in February of 2022. He previously addressed the Canadian Parliament virtually after the war started. Zelensky and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau are scheduled to go from Ottawa to Toronto to meet with the local Ukrainian community. Canada's home to around 1.4 million people of Ukrainian descent. That's close to 4% of the total Canadian population. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is calling on India to cooperate with Canada's investigation into the murder of a Sikh separatist leader. But he's uh, declined to provide evidence in the case. Tensions between Ottawa and New Delhi have nosedived since Trudeau alleged on Monday that Indian agents played a role in the murder of Canadian citizen Hardeep Singh Nijar on Canadian soil. India has since denied this allegation and described it as absurd and motivated. Uh, after a tit-for-tat expulsions of diplomats, India has suspended all categories of visa services for Canadian citizens, citing security reasons. Uh, it's also asked Ottawa to reduce its diplomatic presence in the country. Ravinder Bawa has more. The High Commission of Canada in India announced on Thursday that it has decided to temporarily adjust staff presence in the country after some diplomats received threats on social media. This move was followed after India's demand for parity in the strength and rank of diplomatic personnel. India has also suspended all categories of visa services at its high commission and consulates in Canada. These actions have intensified the already spiraling tensions between the two nations, coming just a day after India issued a cautionary advisory to its citizens, leaving many anxious about the uncertainty. Tensions have been escalating since the beginning of the week when both sides expelled diplomats following the Canadian Prime Minister's accusations of Indian government agents being involved in the killing of a Sikh separatist leader in June this year. India has vehemently denied these claims and has requested evidence. New Delhi has long urged Canada to take action against anti-India elements on its soil. The short-term impact of the fallout is already visible on the ground. The India tour of a Canadian rapper has been called off. Trade talks are on hold. Experts say that in the long run, if the tussle continues and Canada maintains the same stance taking certain steps, India will follow a tit-for-tat policy. That was Ravinder Bawa on the ongoing tensions between India and Canada. UN Assistant Secretary General for Europe, Central Asia and the Americas says the hostilities between Azerbaijan and Armenia must be stopped amid the latest escalation in the Nagorno-Karabakh region. Miroslav Yencha warns that a serious escalation in military operations has caused casualties and evacuations among civilians in the region. We call for a credible and durable cessation of all hostilities. Any renewed uh, escalation would lead to further loss of life and human suffering and further setback internationally supported peace efforts. Yencha says the overriding priority must be the protection and essential needs of civilians. He calls for dialogue between the Azerbaijani government and representatives of Nagorno-Karabakh, along with full engagement in the normalization process by Azerbaijan and Armenia. The official says he'll remain in close contact with all parties involved and be ready to support peace efforts and provide humanitarian assistance. 
Azerbaijan launched a military operation in the Nagorno-Karabakh region on Tuesday, demanding the Armenian forces withdraw from the, uh, the territory. Azerbaijani Foreign Minister uh, Jehun Bayarmov says it's uh, a counter-terrorism activity. The Republic of Azerbaijan reaffirms its determination to guarantee to ethnic Armenian residents of the Karabakh region of Azerbaijan all rights and freedoms in line with its constitution and relevant international human rights mechanism, including those safeguarded for persons belonging to national minorities. Armenian Foreign Minister Ararat Mirzoyan says his country's position remains the same. We should establish peaceful relations based on mutual recognition of sovereignty and territorial integrity, which certainly cannot be anyhow misinterpreted and used as a license for mass atrocities. Armenia and Azerbaijan have been loggerheads over the Nagorno-Karabakh region since 1988. Peace talks have been held since 1994 when a ceasefire was agreed on. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, Iran and Djibouti have decided to restore bilateral relations. Washington is attempting to increase the number of UN Security Council permanent members to dilute influence of China and Russia. How realistic is it? Germany, Japan, and India have been wanting a permanent membership of the Council for decades. Why haven't they succeeded? Can we expect an enlarged UN Security Council with six, seven, or even more permanent members in the foreseeable future? If so, what would it mean for the world order? Find out the answers to these questions and more on this week's Chat Lounge, wherever you get your podcasts and on CGTN Radio. 21 minutes past the hour. Uh, Iran's Farce News Agency says the country in Djibouti decided to resume diplomatic relations based on common interests. The decision was announced by the two countries' foreign ministers as they met on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly on Thursday. The report says the two countries also agreed to strengthen cooperation in various fields, including investment, trade, and science and technology. Djibouti cut diplomatic relations with Iran in 2016 following the attack on the Saudi embassy in Tehran. The Israeli foreign minister said that a deal to normalize ties with Saudi Arabia could be completed by early next year. Eli Cohen noted that he believes the gaps between the two nations can be bridged through negotiations. The diplomat also acknowledged that the main obstacles lie in Saudi Arabia's desire to have a civilian nuclear program and the need for progress in resolving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Israel has official ties with only a handful of Arab countries among them Egypt and Jordan. Nations including the UAE, Bahrain and Morocco agreed in 2020 to normalize relations with Israel. Research fellow Wang Jin at the Syria Research Center of Northwest University says the move could help to bolster Washington's position in the region. I think the Washington agenda is simple. That is to uh, regain the, its uh, political dominance over the Middle East region through this kind of the new uh, rapprochement. Uh, because from the perspective of United States, that the, this 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 region is undergoing a very very significant transformation. So, if the United States hopes to regain the dominance, on the hope to to get reget 
the very direct role, directive role in this region. It has to arrange the relations for its allies and other Middle Eastern countries. So among these Middle Eastern countries, especially its allies, the very most important relations is the relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia, because these two countries, uh, they, they are, their diplomatic relations has already not has not uh, has not been established, and also the connections between the two countries become more and more frequent. So that is why, against this backdrop, the United States hope to bring them together to bridge the gap between the two two states and to hope to have normalized ties for the two sides. I think this is very very major concern for the United States Middle Eastern policy. That was research fellow Wang Jin at the Syria Research Center of Northwest University, sharing insights on Israeli-Saudi Arabia uh, relations. The Israeli Prime Minister says the Democratic Republic of the Congo will move its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Benjamin Netanyahu also announced that Israel will open an embassy in Kinshasa. Only a handful of countries have their embassies in Jerusalem, with most others maintaining their diplomatic, uh, diplomatic representation in the coastal city of Tel Aviv, Israel's main economic hub. While Israel considers Jerusalem its eternal and indivisible capital and wants all embassies based there, most of the world does not recognize Israeli sovereignty over the entire city, believing its status should be resolved in negotiations. The rapidly surging number of migrants crossing the southern border into the United States has raised concerns over a humanitarian crisis. Media reports say border officials have uh, had over 45,000 migrant encounters in the past five days alone. Uh, many of them entered the U.S. through border cities in California and Texas. Director Enrique Lucero of Migrant Services in Tijuana says the dramatic increase of migrant arrivals started less than a month ago. We started to see this situation again. There was a period of calm after the end of Title 42 on May the 12th, when about 3,000 migrants arrived. We reinforced security. In June and July, the situation was calm, but at the end of August, migrants started arriving again, and there we started to see more migrants from various nationalities. It warns that irregular border crossings could generate organized crime and human trafficking. The Biden administration's announced it'll offer temporary legal status to over 470,000 Venezuelan migrants entering the U.S. Uh, by July 31st. The designation will speed up the process for eligible migrants to obtain U.S. work permits. Texas Governor Greg Abbott's declared an invasion at the U.S.-Mexico border, planning to build a border wall with razor wire and marine barriers and to repel migrants. Sudan's top general says he remains committed to a peaceful transfer of power amid the uh, ongoing conflict in the country. Army Chief Abdel Fattah al-Burhan made the remarks during a speech to the UN General Assembly. We remain committed to our previous pledges to transfer power to the Sudanese people by national consensus, according to which the armed forces will completely withdraw from political action, and the transfer of power will take place through legitimate and peaceful means represented by elections. The conflict in Sudan broke out in April, while, uh, or when tensions between the Sudanese armed forces and the rapid support forces exploded into open warfare, leaving thousands of people dead. Al-Burhans accused the RSF of committing war crimes uh, or crimes against humanity, saying the, the forces uh, and groups allied with them should be considered as terrorist groups. 
Kenya's pledge to reinforce security measures against militants from Somalia as it uh, commemorated a deadly attack 10 years ago. Gunmen from the Al-Shabaab group of Somalia launched the attack at the Westgate Shopping Mall in Nairobi on September 21, 2013, killing 67 people. A commemoration ceremony was held at the site of the attack on Thursday. Director General Fazul Mohammed of the Private Security Regulatory Authority says Kenya's embarked on an agenda to make the country safer. Drawing from the painful lessons of this incident, we as a nation have over the past 10 years embarked on an elaborate security reform agenda addressing the various gaps in the national security infrastructure of our republic. The security measures built into our lives are both a source of comfort and a stark reminder of our vulnerability. Court sentenced two men convicted of aiding the attack to 18 and 33 years in jail back in 2020. We're at 28 past the hour. Beijing's 17 degrees overnight. Tomorrow's cloudy and 25 Celsius. Uh, Chongqing has heavy rain in 20 this evening, then a slight rain in 23. Last is down to 10 overnight, then cloudy in 22. Hong Kong's 27 this evening. Uh, tomorrow has clouds in 32. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 21 overnight. It'll see scattered showers in 28 degrees on Saturday. Islamabad's 21 tonight, then thunderstorms in 32. Bangkok's down to 27 degrees, then thunderstorms in 34. In Africa, there Nairobi's getting partly cloudy skies in 27. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 8 degrees this evening. Uh, tomorrow is partly cloudy and 21 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China and Syria have announced the establishment of a strategic partnership. Chinese travelers are looking for bargains during off-peak times as holidays like the upcoming National Day become more expensive. And Iran and Djibouti have decided to restore bilateral relations. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Friday. Still to come, 
In business, China's railways are getting ready for a holiday travel rush. In sports, China's flag bears for the Hangzhou Asian Games. In culture and entertainment, China Media Group's Mid-Autumn Festival Gala. To contact us, you can email audionewsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, as CGTN Radio. But now checking the day's headline news, here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. Chinese President Xi Jinping and his Syrian counterpart Bashar al-Assad have jointly announced the establishment of the China-Syria Strategic Partnership. The two leaders met in Hangzhou on Friday. President Xi welcomed Assad to attend the opening ceremony of the Asian Games in Hangzhou. He said Syria was one of the first Arab countries to establish diplomatic ties with China, and the newly announced strategic partnership is an important milestone in the history of bilateral relations. Assad said Syria is willing to strengthen friendly cooperation with China and maintain close communication and coordination with China in international and regional affairs. After the meeting, the two leaders witnessed the signing of documents on the Belt and Road Initiative as well as cooperation on economic development. Ahead of the 6th Chinese Harvest Festival, President Xi Jinping extended his greetings and sincere regards to agricultural and rural workers. The Chinese leader stressed adhering to the goal of building a strong agricultural sector. He said China is dedicated to building a beautiful and harmonious countryside that is desirable to live and work in. Chinese Vice President Han Zhen has made a four-point proposal for tackling world affairs at this year's general debate at the UN General Assembly. Han also reaffirmed China's commitment to opening itself wider to the world and safeguarding its sovereignty and territorial integrity. Also at the UN General Assembly on Thursday, African leaders strongly condemned the use of sanctions and interference in internal affairs by Western countries. The Zimbabwean president urged for the removal of sanctions on his country. We strongly condemn tendencies by some powerful countries who preach peace, human rights and democracy, and yet clandestinely fund conflicts and the unconstitutional change of governments for their own narrow interests. We further condemn the use of unilateral and illegal sanctions as a foreign policy tool at the disposal of some powerful nations, such as those sanctions imposed on Zimbabwe and the countries like Cuba. Meantime, Guinea's transitional president said Africa has been suffering under a governance model that has been imposed on it by the West, which is insulting to a continent of more than 1.3 billion people. In flood-ravaged Libya, the International Committee of the Red Cross has identified urgent needs for sanitation and access to clean water in the city of Derna. The head of ICRC's Libya delegation says humanitarian efforts are progressing despite the presence of a strong military contingent in Derna. Local authorities they really ensured us that uh, we could uh, walk really freely so that, that uh, they receive orders to favor and facilitate our work. Um, but uh, at the same time, we saw that there was a very strong military presence in, in, in Derna. Local officials have estimated that over 20,000 people were lost after the devastation caused by Storm Daniel. Volodymyr Zelensky has arrived in Canada amid his continued efforts to shore up support for Western allies. It is the Ukrainian's leader's first visit to Canada since the conflict with Russia began in February 2022. He previously addressed the Canadian Parliament virtually after the war started. 
Zelensky and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau are scheduled to go from Ottawa to Toronto to meet with the local Ukrainian community. Canada is home to about 1.4 million people of Ukrainian descent, close to 4% of the population. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is calling on India to cooperate with Canada's investigation into the murder of a Sikh separatist leader, but he has declined to provide evidence. Relations between Ottawa and New Delhi have nosedived since Trudeau alleged on Monday that Indian agents played a role in the murder of Canadian citizen Hardeep Singh Nijar on Canadian soil. India has since denied this allegation and described it as absurd and motivated. After tit-for-tat expulsions of diplomats, India has suspended all categories of visa services for Canadian citizens, citing security reasons. It has also asked Ottawa to reduce its diplomatic presence in the country. Iran's fast news agency says the country and Djibouti have decided to resume diplomatic relations based on common interests. The decision was announced by the two countries' foreign ministers as they met on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly on Thursday. The report says the two countries also agreed to strengthen cooperation in various fields, including investment, trade and science and technology. Djibouti cut diplomatic relations with Iran in 2016 following the attack of the Saudi embassy in Tehran. The Israeli foreign minister has said that the deal to normalize ties with Saudi Arabia could be completed by early next year. Eli Cohen noted that he believes the gaps between the two nations can be bridged through negotiations. The the diplomat also acknowledged that the main obstacles lie in Saudi Arabia's desire to have a civilian nuclear program and the need for progress in resolving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Israel has official ties with only a handful of Arab countries, among them Egypt and Jordan. Nations including the UAE, Bahrain and Morocco agreed in 2020 to normalize relations with Israel. Queenstown, New Zealand, has declared a state of emergency as part of the response to heavy rain. Locals have been evacuating areas where flooding is a concern, and officials have set up a temporary evacuation centre to manage evacuees who have not been able to relocate. Thank you very much. That was Zhu Tianlu with Headline News. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, and coming up in business, China's railways are getting ready for a holiday travel rush. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 38 minutes past the hour. Turning to business and Chinese markets closed higher on Friday. Timothy Pope has more was a happy Friday for the Chinese mainland markets too. They rebounded off 10-month lows today uh, with the Shanghai Composite Index rising about 1.6% and the Shenzhen component gaining 2% uh, to close back above 10,000 points. Uh, It seems uh, that the shock yesterday of the three main indices on the Chinese mainland, or three of them, closing below uh, psychologically important levels uh, made investors feel like things were looking a little oversold. Uh, But it's still been a pretty bad week, even after today 
day's gains. Uh, the Shanghai Composite has shed more than 1% since Monday. Uh, the markets uh, had gains across the board today, though. The vast majority of the companies listed here in Shanghai were rising. Uh, tech, consumer and financial shares definitely uh, leading the rebound. We saw the uh, consumer bellwether, uh, the liquor maker Guizhou Maltai, adding about 2.8%, making it the biggest contributor to gains. Uh, there were also significant bumps for uh, China Merchants Bank on the financial side and the chip foundry Hua Hong Semiconductor. And that was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index gained nearly 2.3%. In Japan, the Nikkei was down over half a percent. Data shows that China's railways have sold more than 146 million tickets over the past eight days as this year's Mid-Autumn Festival and National Day holiday are approaching. Uh, the National Railway is expected to serve 190 million passengers from September 27th to October the 8th. The Chinese Ministry of Transport says the average daily traffic on highways nationwide is expected to be up 40 percent and traffic on the first day of the holiday may exceed the record high. Meantime, over over 21 million people are choosing to fly to their destinations. Civil aviation is expected to guarantee 137,000 flights during the holiday period, with an average of nearly 2 million domestic passengers per day. The 2023 Bond Summit is underway in Shanghai, featuring technological innovation. The three-day uh, event was co-organized by CF40 and the China Center for International Economic Exchanges. Big data and artificial intelligence in the financial industry are expected to top the agenda. With more on the summit, Michael Wang spoke with Wang Dan, chief economist of Hang Seng Bank China. What is next for globalization? I want to get your take on this massive question first. Well, certainly when we talk about globalization, uh, when it comes to the consumer market, we're looking at a more fragmented market for sure. And uh, when we look at Asian market, European continent and American continent, within each continent, actually the manufacturing system is more integrated. But across continent, investment is more or less hindered by different levels of national protectionism. So we do see a negative result because of this. Because 10 years ago, what people talk about was all about connectivity, go globalize, go out and make more overseas investment. Certainly now people think more about de-risking and that trend, I'm afraid, could continue for another decade. So then if you put it that way, are you concerned that we are entering into a new era of slower global growth? Because we still have elevated inflation in many parts of the world. Headline inflation, of course, coming down a little bit, but it's still quite sticky. We are expecting higher interest rates for longer in many parts of the world as well. Rising geoeconomic, geopolitical tensions. Are we in for an era of slower global growth, you think? It certainly looks so, and part of that reason is fragmentation of both production and the consumer market. But another big part of the reason is that the monetary policy has been really tight in most of the emerging markets and developed markets. And the Federal Reserve has been talking about stabilization of monetary uh, tightening, but we don't think that pace could be that fast. And as a result, the global growth look really uncertain at this point. The U.S. economy, Japanese economy appear better than what many market participants have anticipated, but Chinese economy, uh, people are not so sure. There are signs that it's ticking up, but down the road, we still look forward to a lot more changes in policies. That was Wang Dan, chief economist of Hang Seng Bank China, talking about this year's bond summit. 
German companies are displaying their latest products and services on carbon neutrality and digital transformation at the ongoing China International Industry Fair in Shanghai. Automaker BMW showcasing an array of its electric car models, including its high-end sedan and its first made-in-China EV that it's exporting to overseas markets. Wu Yanyan is uh, the vice president of corporate communications and government affairs for BMW Group China. The theme of this year's industry fair, industrial decarbonization and the digital economy, matches BMW's strategy. We are now promoting electrification, digitalization and sustainability. We also have been in very close cooperation with local supply chain firms in China. We not only set a decarbonization goal for ourselves, we also work with our industrial chain partners to work on the green transformation. Last year, BMW expanded its production footprint in China with the opening of a new plant in Shenyang. Official data shows that China's non-financial outbound direct investment increased nearly 19 percent to surpass 585 billion yuan, or roughly 80 billion U.S. dollars, in the first eight months of the year. The figure was up 11.5 percent from a year earlier. The non-financial ODI in Belt and Road partner countries came in at more than 20 billion U.S. dollars, and that was a gain of 15 percent. Travel outside China's reached its highest level in nearly two years. A recent survey says many will travel in the next 12 months, with Europe being one of the top destinations. With more on this, Philip Yin spoke with uh, Professor Christina Chi with Washington State University. Um, are you surprised by, I guess, the survey results that, that we see from China? Um, the recovery of international tourism is slower, um, just like any other countries, right? Um, for several reasons um, for, for, for Chinese. Uh, first is uh, the number of international flights is still limited compared to uh, pre-pandemic time, uh, causing high prices of air tickets and uh, also very inconvenient routes. Uh, this is changing, of course. Um, and second is the uh, uh, processing of uh, travel documents. It's uh, slow and long, and this includes both the past board renewal and a visa application. And then group travel also has not fully uh, recovered, um, but that will change uh, since the uh, Chinese government is uh, uh, steadily opening more countries for uh, group tours. You pointed out there weren't enough flights, but the, the byproduct of that was that it was extremely expensive to travel wherever you were going because we are all trying to do the exact same thing at the exact same time. And I don't know what the solution is because getting planes back into the air uh, takes time. The hotel rooms might be there, but you still have to get there. So that actually benefits the uh, um, the domestic tourism because people still want to travel, right? But they travel domestically uh, rather than um, internationally. But then also uh, those destinations that provide um, these wellness experience um, have been and will remain very popular, um, such as like Hainan Island, right, that provides sun, sea, and sand. And then also um, Yunnan province have been very popular <laughs> during the summer because of the, uh, I was there actually this uh, summer, uh, the pleasant weather. Um, uh, they also have distinct cultural heritage and delicious food. So, um, like I said, I was there in summer, um, it was in 70s, uh, when other places, um, in, not just in China, all over the world. 
That was Professor Christina Chi with the uh, Washington State University analyzing the skyrocketing travel demand outside of China. The Chinese Commerce Ministry has announced approvals for some companies to export gallium and germanium products. The ministry issued a notice on imposing export restrictions on industrial products and materials containing gallium and germanium back in July. Uh, the ministry says it will continue to review other license applications and make decisions in accordance with legal procedures. You're listening to the Beijing Hour coming up in sports. China's flag bears for the Hangzhou Asian Games. The Hangzhou Asian Games will be a unique experience for all involved. Join us on this week's episode of Sideline Story, where we talk about what hosting the Games means to China. We'll also take a look at non-Olympic sports, new technology and other elements of the Games to look forward to. Be sure to tune into Sideline Story, your destination for sports news, analysis and discussions. 47 past the hour. Turning to sports now and we begin with the Hangzhou Asian Games. Greet Asia in Hangzhou. Embrace the excitement of the Games. Chinese authorities have announced swimmer Qin Haiyang and basketball player Yang Liwei as flag bearers at the opening ceremony of the Asian Games. Qin holds Asian records in three events and a world record in the 200 meter. He'll participate in the men's 50, 100, and 200 meter breaststroke events in two relays at the upcoming Asian Games. Women's basketball captain Yang Liwei led her teammates to finish China's uh, or to end China's 12-year wait for Asia Cup victory back in July and uh, they took silver in last year's World Cup. China's announced a delegation of around 1,300 members, including over 880 athletes. The opening ceremony of the 19th Asian Games is on Saturday. Organizers say a digital light show will replace the traditional fireworks to reduce carbon emissions. Uh, Zhu Mandan has more. China is known for its splendid fireworks, especially when it comes to opening ceremonies at international sporting events. But this time in Hangzhou, there will be no fireworks, as organizers have decided to replace them with a digital light show. Hangzhou is putting in place a series of measures in a bid to deliver a green Asian Games, including using cutting-edge technology to reduce carbon emissions. Chief Director for the opening ceremony, Sha Xiaolan, says at the press conference that the digital light show has an audio-visual effect like the real ones. This time, our team has thought of many ways to use digital fireworks, which is created with 3D animation and AR technologies, to replace the real fireworks at the key moment without missing the effect. Audiences at the site can still experience the fireworks atmosphere through a huge screen that is 185 meters wide and 50 meters high. Besides the fireworks, another creative idea that the team had is the way to light the cauldron. It will be done both digitally and in reality. On the night of 23rd September, over 100 million online torchbearers will gather by the Qiantang River. We will create a tailor-designed digital torchbearer, which will walk across the river and come to the Big Lotus Stadium. Six torchbearers will be on site, and the digital torchbearer will join the sixth actual torchbearer to light the cauldron in the stadium. This is going to be a magnificent step. The opening ceremony will be held on September 23rd at the Hangzhou Olympic Sports Center Stadium, also known as Big Lotus. That was Ju Mandan reporting in Hangzhou. In today's Meet Asia in Hangzhou section, we take a look at some traditional Chinese cultural elements at the Hangzhou Games. Uh, Chi has more. 
The mascots of the Hangzhou Asian Games fully embody the cultural elements of Hangzhou. The three mascots are Chongzhong, Lianlian, and Chenchen. Chongzhong derives its name from the Jade Chong Pendant, an ancient artifact unearthed from the ruins of Liangzhu. Lianlian originates from the lush lotus leaves of Westlake. Chenchen was named after the Gongchen Bridge, a landmark striding the Hangzhou section of the Grand Canal. The torch of the 19th Asian Games is named Eternal Flame. The design was inspired by the Liangzhu culture, that is testament to the 5,000-year-old Chinese civilization. The torch is shaped in a way that grows from bottom to top, with an overall height of 73 centimeters and a weight of 1.2 kilograms. The base of the torch is embossed with eight water veins, symbolizing the evolution of civilization and representing the eight major river systems in Zhejiang. For the Beijing Hour, this is Qi Zhi. China beat Myanmar 4-0 in Group A of the Hangzhou Asian Games men's football competition, reaching the last 16 with one game to play. All four goals were scored in the first half. Team leader Tan Long scored two headers in 20 minutes. I am grateful to play such high-level games at the age of 35. The team is so dynamic with so many young players. I also cherish each game on the field, and I hope our team can go further. Wang Zhe now、uh, extended the lead to three goals、uh, four minutes later, and、uh, Dai Weijun sealed the win in the 44th minute. In the uh, uh, other gr-、uh, game of the group, India edged Bangladesh 1-0. The result enabled China to book a spot in the knockout stage before playing Bangladesh on Sunday. Well, China notched its second win by beating Kazakhstan 3-0 in the men's volleyball preliminary round of the Asian Games.、Uh, the first set was closely contested until both teams were tied 15-all.、Uh, Chinese player Li Yongjian's powerful serves helped the team to seal the win in the first set.、Uh, team China then kept up the momentum to win the、uh, other two sets. Elsewhere, Japan swept the Philippines 3-0, and Chinese Taipei outclassed Mongolia 3-0. Argentina strengthened its grip at the top of the FIFA World Rankings on the latest list, with the top five remaining unchanged. The world champions remained on top after beating Ecuador and Bolivia in their 2026 World Cup qualifiers earlier this month. France retained second place after losing to Germany in a friendly last week. Brazil ranks third, followed by England and Belgium.、Uh, 159 international matches were taken into account for the rankings, while no team made a significant leap in the. Standings. Northern Ireland experienced the most significant drop, falling 10 spots to 74th overall. And that was sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, China Media Group's Mid-Autumn Festival Gala. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. Uh, 54 past the hour now. Turning to culture and entertainment, China Media Groups released a 30-second promotional video for its Mid-Autumn Festival Gala. 
Gala is divided into three chapters and contains over 20 programs, including solos, duets, symphony orchestras, and dances. The entertainment show is to air on the evening of September the 29th. Organizers have unveiled the winners of the inaugural Golden Panda Awards. Jojo Rabbit won the Best Film Award, and the first season of 1923 took home the Best TV Drama Award. In the film category, Leo Jung-Jung claimed the Best Director Award for Lighting Up the Stars, and the Best Screenplay Award went to The Father. Uh, Nahul Perez Biscayart won the Best Director Award, and Penelope Cruz claimed the Best Actress Award. The Miracle Panda won the Best Documentary, and uh, Yao Chinese Folktales secured Best Animation. Over 7,000 works were solicited to compete for the awards, covering over 100 countries and regions. Greece ranks number one in terms of olive oil consumption per person. Uh, Cao Chufang visited the island of Crete to explore authentic local cuisine using olive oil. This is Crete the largest island in Greece, and also known for having some of the country's best cuisine. That's why I got Chef Yota and sous chef Stratos to show me some traditional Cretan dishes, all made with olive oil. You mean what? what, what? Like a... Calcione. Calcione. That's a typical... Cretan. Cretan. No. Greeks each consume around 15 kilograms of olive oil per year, ranking number one in the world. And for people in Crete, the number is double that amount. It must be expensive to fry everything. Not for olive oil. us. You know, nobody buys olive oil here. Nobody buys olive nobody. oil. Nobody. We have our own trees. And how many olive oils do you have? 300 olive oil. Trees. Trees. 300 olive trees. Oh my god. We savor the dishes we prepared in the garden. Much like in China, Greek people share their meals together, opting for communal dining rather than individual plates. It's very nice. Oh. But unlike Chinese cuisine, where oil generally remains neutral, olive oil adds extra flavor and aroma to Greek food. No olive oil, no Greek cooking. Yeah. Ah, yes, exactly. Yeah. No. No. no, okay. So when I got to taste olive oil's real flavor during a session with an expert. I didn't know there was a proper way to do this with special tools and steps. Plus, each oil has its unique smell. Extra virgin olive oil also tasted different than I expected. And apparently, high quality ones can be challenging for beginners to appreciate. Oh. It's so bitter and pungent. Oh my god. During my time in Crete, I not only learned more about olive oil, but also experienced the local people's love and passion for food and life. That was Cao Chufang reporting. Organizers have set up a photo exhibition in Macau to showcase the prehistoric relics unearthed in Shanghai over the past decades. The exhibition aims to help Macau residents better understand the origin of ancient civilization in Shanghai and its development. Uh, this was the third year for the exhibition to be held in Macau, and it'll last until October 21st. The family of Marvin Gaye's co-writer has withdrawn its appeal of a, a verdict that determined Ed Sheeran did not infringe on the copyright of Let's Get It On when he created his song, Thinking Out Loud. In a one-page filing, the parties notified the court they'd agreed to withdraw the uh, appeal. No reason was given. 
That's culture and entertainment. We're at 58 past the hour, checking the forecast before we go for the weekend. In Beijing's 17 overnight, tomorrow is cloudy and 25 degrees. Chongqing has heavy rainfall in 20 this evening, then a slight rain in 23. It lasts down to 10, then cloudy in 22. Hong Kong's 27 tonight, then cloudy in 32. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 21 overnight. It'll get scattered showers in 28 degrees on Saturday. Islamabad's 21 this evening, then thunderstorms in 32. Bangkok's down to 27 degrees, then thunderstorms in 34. In Africa, Nairobi's getting partly cloudy skies in 27. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's down to 8 this evening, then partly cloudy in 21. Auckland's 15 this evening, then clouds in 19. Port Vila, some clouds and 30 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China and Syria have announced the establishment of a strategic partnership. And Chinese travelers are looking for bargains during off-peak times as holidays like the upcoming National Day become more expensive. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 